0: If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Today, our regular guest is Peter Huntington. Now, if you haven't heard of Peter before, you need to go back and listen to a couple of his earlier chats, especially, I think the first one's good because that gives you a bit of background, but the second one as well was just the 10 rules of feeding, when they were just really good basic rules that come back. So now we're going on to do some specialist tips, and I think we've got 10 feeding considerations for horses with gastrointestinal disorders today. How are you today, Peter?
1: Great, thanks. Um, Yeah, that's really good.
0: Good, good. Is that right, Peter? We're going to do the feeding considerations for horses with gastrointestinal disorders.
1: Well, we're probably trying to prevent gastrointestinal disorders might be a better (laughs) topic. Yes, yes,
0: probably is. Yes, tell us a little bit about the background in that.
1: Well, the horse's gastrointestinal system's quite a bit different to that of humans or other animals. Um, and so the sort of some of the feeding feeds we use and the feeding practices and feeding management needs to be different because of that. So we've got a, um, a the horse has a, a small stomach, um, and feed moves quickly through it. The stomach is prone to gastric ulcers. Uh, that's become more obvious. People have got uh, you know longer endoscopes that uh, find. Uh, Many, many horses are affected with gastric ulcers and we've got a small intestine where, which is a big, you know, long, thin tube, 20 metres long or something like that. Uh, and that's the site of digestion of many carbohydrates, uh, protein, absorption of minerals and vitamins are a key part of it. And then we move into the large intestine, the cecum and the colon, which is sort of like a big fermentation vat, a bit like the rumen of the cow and the sheep and uh, that's where there's sort of billions of bacteria and protozoa that are fermenting fibre, and um, the health of that bacterial population is certainly linked with the uh, the health of the horse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you
0: think we're more aware of now gastrointestinal disorders because of the ability to scope horses and the um, the more awareness to it?
1: I think we are because of the um, the, the awareness about gastric ulcers. Mm. Uh, I think what we don't know is. What the gastric ulcers mean. I mean, some horses look absolutely healthy and have got quite significant ulcers. So mm, mm. Uh, we're sort of still, and we, we know some of the risk factors about gastric ulcers, but we're still wrestling with, with that in areas. We're probably, uh, a lot of horses have got hindgap disturbances, and that might be identified in sort of research about the microbiota. And people who are, are aware that the links of that with human health would be aware that. Um, you know, we can have the same sort of thing in horses, but we're still a long way from knowing all we need to know about, about that area of the gut. But, you know, people do recognise, obviously, colic is one of the big, um, you know, the big things that they want to uh, have a, a low risk of and a low incidence of. And if you've got the horses that are prone to colic, then it's uh, it's a big issue. So, yep. um yep. Yeah.
0: Okay, well, we get on to the first point you've got, and you've sort of given us a good overview, but understanding the horse's gastrointestinal system.
1: Yeah, well, I think I've sort of, you know, probably just, yep. just just covered that in mm-hmm. terms of understanding anatomy, physiology. Uh, I mean, it's probably, you know, the, the full scope of that is beyond the scope of this podcast. So, some of the people who want to know more about it. <laughs>
0: Might Uh, have to go to a veterinary lecture or something, yeah. Yeah, veterinary
1: lecture, or could do some reading on our equine news website. There's uh, good articles there about the some of the uh, the setup of the gastrointestinal system. But Mm -hmm. if you look at you know moving you know feeding principles for optimal gut health um, would be uh, things like. Uh, don't change feeds too rapidly so uh, horses are unlike humans they're creatures of habit in terms of what they eat so their bacterial population becomes accustomed to that Um, and if you change them then that's sort of upsetting the bacterial population Uh, small meals particularly with concentrates um, giving them enough fibre. The the, gastro, the gastrointestinal tract, particularly the large intestine, needs fibre, has a need for fibre and they're going to get that fibre from uh, pasture, from hay, from chaff, uh, maybe from super fibres and, and perhaps from the concentrate feed, but making sure that they've got uh, enough forage in their diet to supply the fibre. Yep. Uh, that's an important part of it. Um, others are um, related to meal size of concentrates, Um, So, keeping meal sizes down, keeping the starch content down, Um, things like the processing, uh, if you're using grains, uh, making sure that they're adequately processed and uh, the heat processing, oats don't need processing, but barley and corn uh, do, lupins need processing for horses to chew them, um, but um, effectively, but yeah, having adequate amount of processing if if the, uh, the ingredient needs processing there are some of the important uh, feeding principles mm, i think mm. uh, for optimal gut health and uh, also looking at the uh, the sort of group dynamics if you're feeding horses in groups making sure that um, you know one horse isn't gutsing everything so uh, uh, yeah. and, and the other horse getting left out.
0: Perfect. All right. So that was number two, the feeding principles for optimum gut health. Number three now is a common problem. Number one is colic. And we, you know, we often talk about colic right through, you know, sort of pony club exams, we start talking about colic and what the problem it is. It really is a big problem with horses. So can you talk about that?
1: A little bit. Um, you know, colic is one of the bigger killers of, of horses. And uh, if, uh, you know, horses need to go to surgery, then that's very expensive. Uh, and it, it's one of, the, um, yeah, one of the, the, the things that you're aware of. Now, feeding has um, some impact on the risk factors for colic. There are a number of others. Um, and sometimes it's just unknown what the risk factor is. Uh, but, um, you know, some horses go through their life without colic. And some horses are more prone to colic and seem to get it more more often. And some sort of uh, management systems uh, are more likely to have colic than, than not. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's certainly uh, you know colic and laminitis are probably you know two of the uh, the real big bugbears that uh, a horse uh, horse facing horse health.
0: Yep, yep. So can you tell us that's number four, is the colic symptoms, causes, and diagnosis?
1: Yeah, I mean, the the colic symptoms can be quite varied Mm -hmm. and can can involve colic is another word for abdominal pain. So the horse has got a pain in the uh, abdomen and that can come from uh, a a wide variety of areas and the symptoms and can be, you know, differing severity. It could be just not eating. Um, It could be... um, you know, failing to pass any droppings in the case of impaction, it may be significant pain that's evidenced by things like high heart rates, by sweating, by by rolling, you know, uh, flank watching, kicking at the belly, all that sort of thing. So there's a wide variety of signs, and colic is something that should be treated very seriously, and I think it's a you know a veterinary emergency. Uh, so a horse with colic and it's going to resolve quickly, you need to be getting the vet to look at your horse. And then they are going to sort of conduct some examinations to try and determine the severity and which type of colic it might be and therefore what to do about it. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Good, good. Now, feeding horses, and I know that you're the feeding specialist. So feeding horses after colic is num- point number five
1: yeah I guess that's it's a that's a big topic because it depends on the you know depends on the type of colic mm-hmm. yep. as and if a horse that's had surgery is going to have different feeding practices to what you might do um, for a horse that's just had a medical colic that's either resolved without veterinary treatment or with sort of symptomatic type veterinary treatment but in general terms the things that are risk factors for colic are probably. Uh, that relate to feed. Are high in, high intakes of concentrate feed. Um, they are um, indigestible forages that might lead to impaction. Um, they are things like feedstuffs that are prone to fermentation and production of a lot of gas. So that could be um, highly fermentable uh, pastures and really high quality pastures. Um, and, um, you know, low fibre intakes, uh, they're, they're some of the things that come to mind and changes of feed. Mm-hmm. So in terms of, you know, feeding after colic, if um, you've got to look at, you know, what the type of colic is as to what you might change. So, um, you know, there's no one-size-fits-all in this yep. regard. Okay. And so you've got to look at, you know, what's the type of colic and therefore, you know, what are the... Feeding practices. Uh, what risks do we have involved, and and what we might do as a consequence of that? So, um, it's uh, it depends on the on the, the type of colic the horse has, the severity, and then you know, did it solve with medical treatment, or did it need surgery? Because feeding practices after surgery are very different to what you might do uh, what you might do medically. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes people can just you know continue on and um, and feed the horse exactly the same way that were fed before, but other times they might need to then look at some change if it's identified that there are risk factors as yep. that I've outlined earlier.
0: Okay. Okay. So you talked then about other feeding considerations. So have we covered point number six, feeding considerations for preventing colic?
1: Yeah, I think I think we have because yeah. um, it's, uh, it's a matter of, uh, you know, I think in many ways trying to you know, keep the horse the feeding as as naturally as as natural as possible. Yep. With uh, high enough uh, high enough forage intakes, mm-hmm. um, but feeding you know good quality uh, forage. But uh, you know, sometimes the risk factor can be in fact um, forage that's too high a quality. So if you've got super powered grass uh, with lots of indigestible fructans. That can contribute to disturbances in the bacterial population, and we get gas production, and that can be one of the risks of colic. So it's very much a horses for courses in terms of identifying what the uh, you know what the likely risk factors are related to that type of colic, and then um, taking the considerations in terms of meal size, processed grains, amount of fibre, quality of the fibre. Mm-hmm. Um, the sort of um, availability of a of, of feed into consideration. So, yep. yeah, a number of number of things you need to consider.
0: Okay, okay. Now, common problem number two is the hindgut acidosis. Would you like to talk about that?
1: Yeah, well, hindgut acidosis is is thought to be one of the risk factors for colic. And hindgut acidosis, we're talking about the large intestine, the cecum and the colon there, and uh, when, um, as I've said earlier, there's uh, billions of bacteria and protozoa that, that are there, and their job is to ferment the fibre. And as part of that fibre, they produce um, fatty acids that are then digested, absorbed, and they're a source of energy. But in the right, in in the right or, or shall we say the wrong circumstances, the uh, the bacteria have excessive amounts of carbohydrates. And that can produce different types of acids, such as lactic acid. Uh, Now, those carbohydrates can come from undigested starches, from unprocessed grain or meal size that's too big or not being chewed effectively, or it can come from fructans in pasture. And the fructans are indigestible sugars that uh, you have in pasture and, and they pass through the large intestine. So then we've got acid production and the acid production uh, then changes the nature of the bacterial population, and uh, so we get um, uh, a preponderance of bacteria that like a, a lower pH. Mm-hmm. And taken to extremes, that can be one of the, uh, the considerations in in cases of laminitis related to either grain overload or really super super high quality pastures. So that's what's happening in hindgut acidosis. Difficult to measure. Uh, and, and there can be a variety of signs. And so I'll, so I'll move on to
0: the symptoms. This is um, point number eight. Yes, the symptoms, yeah, causes, yeah. and diagnosis.
1: Yep. Symptoms of mm. gut mm. acidosis. And it may well be that that's um, loose manure. So you get a disturb, you know, increase in the water content, yep. um, change in the smell, uh, sort of loose, uh, sort of foul smelling manure, change in the smell because of the change in the bacterial population. Um, in, in extreme cases, um, we've got sort of laminitis that can result from it and colic can result. But in more moderate cases, it might be things like uh, behaviour change, because it does seem that hindgut health and hindgut stability can be linked with behaviour. And horses that are a bit unsettled or fractious, uh, that can can settle down when they've got a more settled hindgut. So it's sort of a bit of a saying that a happy gut is a happy horse. And... And that can come from both gastric ulcers and and hindgut acidosis. Uh, Diagnostically, um, yes, you can measure uh, pH of of the manure. It's more accurate if you measure pH of the contents of the cecum and the colon, but that's practically uh, pretty, that's that's, uh, impossible. Uh, So um, uh, you can measure that pH, and uh, that can give you a bit of a guide as to what's going on. You know, it's meant to be close to seven. uh, which is neutral, but um, in some circumstances is getting down. Uh, and when it gets below six, we're starting to see some sort of damage. The other thing I didn't mention is that when you get chronic sort of hindgap disturbances and acidosis, the, um, you know that can change the bacterial population and, and just reduce the efficiency of digestion uh, so that the horse uh, needs more feed to maintain its body condition because the hindgap digestive processes are, uh, are not as efficient Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's uh, one of the other considerations there.
0: Yep, yep, yep. Well, we're talking about feeding. So number nine is feeding horses with hindgut gut acidosis. So if you can go into a bit more depth there about um, about the feeding.
1: Yeah, the the preventative practices. So what we're looking at there is uh, you know minimizing um, maxim giving the horse enough uh, fibre. Or uh, so the fibre, and that's uh, you know we talk about minimum amounts of forage that the horse might need. Is the uh, desirable be one and a half percent of body weight, um, and absolute minimum is one percent of body weight. So that's giving them enough enough fibre there, and having the fibre in front of them. The second is minimizing the amount of undigested carbohydrate that gets to the large intestine. Now that may relate to. Uh, the amount of starch in the feed, the processing of the of the source of the starch, the processing of the grains. Um it's, you know, one of the reasons why we don't feed wheat to horses because it's very high starch and the less it's processed it's not very well digested. So we're sort of minimizing the amount of um, starch that gets there or minimising the amount of sugar that gets there. And we, uh, if we've got horses on high-quality pastures, particularly sunny days, then the fructan levels rise during the day, and this is not digested, so it's in the small intestine, so it goes in and it's fermented to produce acidosis. So in certain horses, you've just got to say, okay, we can't expose uh, the horse to, um, uh, you know, we need to reduce the exposure of the horse to that uh, high-quality pasture in that fructans. Um, and. There are also some other considerations you can have in sort of hindgut buffers. So uh, we have a product, which is an encapsulated uh, sodium bicarbonate, and that's designed to get through the normal digestive process in the stomach and the small intestine and to be available uh, in the large intestine to buffer the acid and keep the pH up. And quite nice data showing that occurs, uh, and therefore that will have an influence on the acid content which is the contributor to, to, to the hunger uh, hindgut acidosis. Yeah. So there's a number of factors in there. yeast um, culture potentially also is uh, something that may have some small impact. So uh, horses prone to hindgut disturbances, uh, then you need to look at you know what dietary considerations are there. Uh, Into that require modification
0: to reduce the risk. Okay, okay. So you've sort of covered really that number ten was the feeding consideration for preventing the hind gut acidosis. Yeah, you're a bit ahead of me today, Peter. I think you're uh, <laughs> you know what you're talking about. I'm trying to dissect it and listen and and go right. Well, where are we up to? So yeah, look as usual. Brilliant talk. I think, you know, from someone who's absolutely an expert in this area, love having you on the show and looking forward to getting you back again. I think for people who'd like to get those 10 feeding considerations to prevent horses from getting gastrointestinal disorders, Those tips will be on our website, which will be com slash Peter Huntington. I don't know, Peter, about number five by now. But if you just search for Peter Huntington, you'll find his page and you'll find the summary of those 10 points. Uh, contact details. If you can talk about your contact details and also too earlier on, you talked about Equinews for people who would like to get a bit more information about that understanding the horse's gastrointestinal system. So if you can talk about where they can get Equinews and also your contact details, please.
1: Sure. sure. Equinews.com is the website or they can get our main website, kar.com and go to the library section of that um, and you can find a There'll be hundreds of articles about uh, gastrointestinal health and some of the disorders associated with it and certainly some of the things around, you know, more specifics, more detail than we can put in this particular uh, particular uh, podcast. Yeah. Uh, so uh, equinews.com or ka.com, And as far as contacting us if they have got a horse that's prone to, prone to hindgut, disturbances um, and want some advice on how to identify the risk factors or manage those risk factors, then uh, either row one 800 or by emailing advice at kr.com and uh, we'll uh, try and help people um, you know, look after uh, the, the gastrointestinal health of their horse better and uh, have a have a happier, healthier horse.
0: Perfect. So thanks, Peter. Thanks for coming on today and looking forward to catching up with you again.
1: Great, thanks very so much.
0: Okay, bye.